0: Hey friends, welcome to Boca, a podcast exploring the ever-blurring lines between the personal and business lives of professional photographers. This is your host, Nathan Holritz, and I'm happy that you can join me in connecting with photographers and entrepreneurs as we discuss photography, business, and that sometimes messy thing we call life. This podcast is brought to you by Photographer's Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit.com Com. All right, Boca Podcast listeners, we are back for yet another episode. And honestly, I'm pretty stoked today. I'm, I'm actually getting goosebumps as I'm starting here because I've got a longtime friend on the podcast with me, Gustavo Fernandez. Thank you, Gustavo, for hanging out with me today for a bit.
1: Hey, it's uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, and and first of all, I have to say, i was actually a little bit nervous as we were getting ready to get started today because honestly, I look at you as somebody who is in, in my mind, at least in my experience, one of the more talented conversationalists in our industry. We've had the opportunity to connect at different points over the years. In fact, what, when was the first time that we actually met? Was it at, at uh, Photo Plus, at a party around Photo Plus one year?
1: Oof, wow. Uh, put me on the spot on that one. I have no idea. But, you know, as typical, either WPPI or Photo Plus, you know, one of the big conferences, you know, meeting through friends or, Uh, Maybe when I was volunteering at WPPI, also I forget.
0: Yeah, well, I I have to say, regardless, that you're a great conversationalist, and I think a lot of what where that comes from, at least in my experience, is you're you're engaging. You're you're actually paying attention. You're making eye contact. You're you're calculated in the way that you have conversation, and yet there's an ease about you that's really easy to engage with, and I really appreciate that. This podcast has been an ongoing effort at learning to be a better conversationalist. So anyway, I'm, I'm stoked to have you on. And not just for that reason, too. You've got an established photography business. Uh, in fact, you're, you're actually based in San Francisco. You started in wedding photography. And then as we're going to discuss in a little bit, you got into headshot and corporate photography. But there's actually a, a quote. Um, I, I was looking through some, some various information, doing a little bit of research, if you will, before our, our podcast and just as a way for people to get to know you a little bit better, I, I found this quote in a newsletter, actually, from your March newsletter. You said, no matter how old I get, I always feel like everyone older than myself is a quote, real adult, and I'm just faking it somehow. I have to have you comment on that because that's a brilliant quote.
1: Uh, sure. Yeah, that's, it's funny uh, that you mentioned my newsletter because it's, it's the favorite part of my newsletter. I keep my newsletters pretty simple. It's, it's four different topics every month. It's a little bit about one of my events. It's a little bit about one of my headshot clients. Uh, a little bit of personal about me, my family, and then lastly, it, what it's, it, it's the section is kind of a fun shower thoughts, and yeah. uh, you pull, you pulled that out of the shower thoughts section, which a lot of my friends usually scroll down just to read that because it's, it's always super fun. But to comment on that, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just a life experience, right? Like, really, am I an adult now that I'm a little bit over forty? Like, what's what's going on in life? But you know, it's always. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's uh, having that kid in you that can just keep you going. Um, And that's what's exciting about kind of reading that quote where it's like, wow, we never grow up and we should never grow up. And why do we really see each of ourselves as adults versus we're still growing and there's so much to grow? That's a beautiful thing. It's just growth is the fun part, I think.
0: Yeah, well, and, and it's like funny that you mention never grow up because I, I have a pillow on that I keep on my bed that literally says that. My girlfriend gave it to me. It's from Disney, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it Thanks. just says never grow up. I I will say readily that I I have the mind more of a fifteen year old, and I'm almost forty. Uh, but I think part of that is just a curiosity about life. I, I like to do something new. I like to learn something new. I like to try things that are exhilarating. I know that you and I both share motorcycle riding as yeah. a as a hobby, as a passion, something that we've spent time doing. And that in and of itself is its own challenge. But I think that that notion of keeping our minds young, a lot of that's driven by curiosity, don't you think?
1: Oh, 100%. I mean, that's, you know, and first of all, thanks for the great compliment on the conversational part. Here I am looking at you when I listen to your podcast and go, God, he's good at speaking. And I'm like, God, oh, I need to get better like him. But yeah, it's all about, I just, you know, I just want to learn more. I just, I'm always curious about different people's perspectives, different ways, how they approach things. I'm just, you know, super curious. And at the end of the day, it's, you know, it's, I always looking to learn something new and uh, just having that engaging conversations with either clients or with strangers. It's uh, it's always a fun, fun time for me.
0: Yeah, I think you know, and, and we could we could stay here for a very long time talking about how to go about having good conversation. And and you're also very kind. But it honestly, this has been a, a big challenge learning how to create interesting conversation that can also add value. I don't necessarily tend to be the most entertaining individual or uh, or witty individual when it comes to conversation. But it, at least I can bring curiosity to the conversation. And one of those principles that we learn in, in a very well-known book, "How to Win Friends and Influence People," is. It's just the simple idea of showing genuine interest in someone else. And if somebody feels that from you, it makes all the difference in the world. And this isn't just applicable in our personal lives. It's it wholly, I mean, it's, it's wholly applicable really in our business as well. We can make our clients feel if, if we feel genuine about it, then we can help our clients feel like we actually care to take care of them and it makes all the difference in the world and their experience with our brand.
1: A hundred percent. I mean, at the end of the day, it's all about the people. So it's, you know, that's what I concentrate on 100% of my business is taking care of my client. And if you're doing that, if you're connecting, if you're reminding them that you're there and you're, you know, making their lives a lot easier, you know, they're always going to keep calling you back. And that's the beauty of this business. I mean, I come from a background about almost 10 years in, in uh, sales. So, you know, it's all about the people. So I tell people that I still do the same thing. You know, I'm just just a little bit of a different business photography but it all narrows down to people and how do you take care of them and you know how they remember you and how you create that experience. Yeah,
0: 100%. And we could, honestly, we could almost end the podcast episode right there and our listeners would have enough value if, if we were to actually take what you just said in those last 10, 15 seconds and and completely and thoroughly apply it to the way that we're running our business. It, it would just, it would the, the impact not only on the world at large, but also in our experience as business owners would be drastically different. So I think it's great to keep that at the forefront as we continue to develop our businesses. And that's really a good segue to my kind of first main question today for you, which is one that I ask quite a bit here on the podcast about brand position. We're going to get into your business model more detail later on, but very simply, how would you sum up your photography business's brand position? And for those of you listening in who are maybe not familiar with this concept, uh, this would be the unique value proposition that your photography business brings to your market.
1: You know, what I, what I typically tell when people ask me that question, it's, you know, it, I'm the professional, I'm as professional as your company, you know, I'm just another part of your team or another way you can look at it. It's like I'm a seasoned professional trusted by Fortune 500 companies to capture their employees and events. So those two statements, you know, kind of sum up that niche that I'm going for. I'm going for that higher end executive level corporate event photography, and also capturing some of those executives' uh, headshots too.
0: Wow! I mean, that doesn't—if if that doesn't more clearly and concisely sum up your business model than anything else, I, I don't know what would. I think that's—and I think part of the significance of a good brand position is—or not even the significance of it. What helps it certainly communicate significance, but the effectiveness of a brand position is being able to communicate it concisely. Because a lot of times you talk to a business owner, photographers in particular, and you ask what their brand is about, and You know, five minutes later, you maybe have kind of a rough idea. The fact that you've been able to sum it up in one phrase or one sentence like that, I think, is a great example for all of our listeners. And I also like the idea that that you alluded to, which is that you become part of their team. It's not, it's not necessarily creating this experience for them where they feel like they're hiring somebody from the outside as much as you're part of their team. You happen to be part of that process, and you're capturing their their corporate event or their headshot in that process. Is is that am I understanding that correctly?
1: Yeah. And, you know, the reason I mentioned team is, uh, you know, one of the main reasons and the beauty of my niche and what I'd like to kind of point out, too, it's it's building that recurrent business model. And why I mentioned team is they're calling you every year or they're calling you several times a year to kind of do that same event or do that handful or several handful of events for them. So, you know, they don't have to call a new person every year. They know that you're going to show up, you're going to deliver, you're going to do a great job. People are going to enjoy working with you. You're going to pretty much provide that same brand as their own company uh, delivery. So, you know, they trust you. So it's a building that, you know, you're part of the team. So it's like having that extra employee that you don't have to worry about. I mean, it's funny how like JP Morgan, for example, call me and go, oh, hey, save the date and here's the date. And oftentimes I won't know till the day before exactly what time I'm starting the next day because they know they can trust me to, to show up and I'll just like check in and be like, Hey, when do you need me there? You know, it's, it's as simple as that. I don't even have contracts with some of these major clients just because they just trust me to, to be there and to make it as simple and as easy as possible for them because you also have to put yourself in their shoes. You know, you look at that event planner that's that's has an event to produce and you're just another person on that list that they need to, to call and, check in with three or four photographers and you know, oh my God, who do I pick? You yeah. know, those type of things. So if you can make it easy, that's that's the goal.
0: Isn't that interesting though? And and I know that this is going to vary from business model and, and target client to business model and target client, but and, and even genre photography, but as much importance as we put on style of photography or uniqueness of photography, a lot of that is really significance that we that I mean, that we pretty much put on that photography ourselves for us as photographers, for ourselves as photographers, for our peers, when the reality is that many times the the way that we're going to make the biggest impact on that client or potential client is ease of use, if you will, or or positive experience that they have in engaging with us, if we can make it as easy as possible for them. Of course, they're going to come back. They don't have to deal with a bunch of drama or an ego that doesn't get in the way of a positive and easy experience. And I, I love that you highlight that. I think that's something that we need to all keep in mind as business owners. Talk to me about about your experience as a business owner so far. And I know you've been in business for, what is it, like 10 years, 12 years, close to 12 years now?
1: Yeah. I mean, I sort of officially, I guess, started January 1, 2008, I okay. want to say. So yeah, it's a little over... 10 years plus. I started back in the day with wedding photography. And I was inspired by Bambi Cantrell, who actually yeah. lived locally. I took her workshop. And uh, this was back when the Professional Photographer Magazine put out the top 10 wedding photographers in the world. And I was like, wow, this, what's this exciting world? And and I found the blogs and I found how everybody was having a super fun time in WPPI. I was like, wow, I want to join this, <laughs> this, this, this cool group of people. Yep. And uh, yeah, so I connected with Bambi and over time, uh, you know, became her main second shooter. And I, you know, I uh, volunteered at WPPI, got to meet everyone and had a blast and, you know, slowly built my business in weddings and portrait photography. And then over time, it, you know, it just slowly developed into that corporate events and uh, headshots because, you know, one of the things that the clients or excuse me, maybe venues and vendors looked at me as a professional. And what I mean by that, it's like, he, you know, I always showed up well-dressed. I always, you know, showed up on time or was early or, you know, the client was always super happy and complimented me. So, you know, they looked at me as that professional that I was like, oh, he's a stand-up person. We can recommend him to these high-end company or, you know, not just the weddings. Hey, let's recommend him for this because we know he can just show up and deliver. And I started to notice, you know, quickly enough that it's like, wait a second. I don't need to be finding 30 to 40 to depending on how, you know, many weddings you want to shoot per year, new clients every year. You know, if I can lock in with a few venues that'll refer me, you know, they're doing 365 events, uh, you know, a year, that's yep. like at least one or two or three events a day. Yeah. So it's like, wait, that's a better, better referral source than trying to, you know, take care of one planner, do a bunch of shoots for them for free and, you know, lining and diming, Dining them for maybe one or two weddings a year, and so I quickly saw the shift in. Wait a second, this is more of a business. Let's make this more of a recurring business income. Let's let's make this this pipeline, you know, a lot uh, a lot easier to to gather from.
0: It's funny you mentioned Bambi Cantrell, and I think I've alluded to this in the podcast once before. But Bambi was a source of inspiration for me as well early on. There was a book that she put out called The Art of Wedding Photography. And Mm -hmm. that I, I would look at that thing obsessively for inspiration. You know, this is before the day of Instagram, of course. So I I would look at that for so called inspiration before going to shoot a wedding. And it was a regular source of just that, but it's really beautiful work in that book. But, and and by the way, we'll link to that in the show notes for, for your listener, for our listeners. You're going to want to check out these show notes from today too, because we'll put a various resources there in the show notes at Boca, B O K E H com, including a link to this book on Amazon. So you can check it out. But Uh, during all of this time the development of your business. And I know that you've moved from wedding photography into more corporate and headshot photography. Now we're going to talk about that in more detail, but what is one of the most significant lessons that you've learned during the last 11, 12 years that you would be quickest to share with a fellow photographer?
1: You know, we've pretty much mentioned it already. You know, what's, you know, the main lesson it's, it's always the client, right? How do you take care of that client? One of the main things that uh, I see lacking in today's world in uh, the photography world, not even the photography world, just overall, unfortunately, is that lack of customer service. Hmm. You know, what do I mean by customer service? I mean, literally going back to the basics, going back to the basics literally makes my business stand out. And what I mean by that is I actually pick up the phone every time it rings, or I actually return emails within an hour or, you know, as, as soon as possible. So, I can't mention how many times I get a response on email that says, "Oh my God, thanks for responding so quickly." Hmm. Again, put yourself in that client's shoes. You know what? They're, they're tasked to put this event together. They're probably sending three to four emails to different photographers. Hey, that first person that gets back to them that actually answers all their questions first of all, maybe provide some sample information, provide the price. You know, providing everything that that client might need to know in that first email is probably going to get that job. Or again, literally the basic of picking up the phone. I got Forbes as one of my clients. I, I got Forbes as a client literally from picking up the phone. Wow! I picked up the phone. It's been almost two years now. And she said, oh my God, thanks for picking up the phone. I was like, really? and you literally joked about that subject and that customer service, lack of customer service these days. And you know, here I am. I booked two events with her that year. And then I did 15 plus events. And I flew around the country for them you know, that last year. Wow. And that was from just picking up the phone. Customer service is unfortunately something that, that is lacking these days. If you can, you know, just go back to the basics and pick up the phone, return emails on a timely basis, or pick up the phone and call the client. Yeah. You know, if a client sends you an email that doesn't necessarily have all the information you need, just pick up the phone. It's like, hey, Mary, got your email. You know, would love to learn a little bit bo- more about your event, uh, you know, so I can actually send you an accurate quote. You know, let me know. Yeah. It's yeah. funny
0: how the basics can matter that much sometimes. And, you know, we're, we're trying to make that a priority, even at photographer's edit is as, as larger client base as We have as many photographers as we've worked with, we continue to go back to the basics of giving good customer service, communicating empathy and email, actually, like you were saying, picking up the phone and calling photographers, those efforts. And, and it's funny these days, I mean, to your point, many, there's probably the majority, the large percentage of those photographers that we actually reach out to via phone don't pick up the phone. Oh, but, 100%. But in my mind, it's, it's still like we're making some type of impact. Even if we never hear back from them, they know that we at least care enough to make, take the time to give a call or to make the call. And again, I think this is a really great reminder for all of us. But I also have a follow-up question to that uh, because as much as you're putting priority on Being responsive, email, phone, text, or whatever the case may be, you also want to have a life at some point, right? So I'm curious how you balance being available, offering that level of customer service, but then simultaneously creating time for yourself so that you've got some mental space, personal space. Maybe you have time to go ride a motorcycle. I know that you're involved in some charity work. This is really incredible um, spend time with friends or otherwise, how do you create that space while simultaneously making yourself that available to clients?
1: Sure. Yeah. I mean, pretty simply, like I live by my calendar and if I want to make things happen, they need to be in my calendar. If not, it's not going to happen. So, you know, placing things in my calendar gives me that deadline of, you know, knocking out email or knocking out calls to the clients or, you know, doing any, any uh, type of work I need to be doing, but just living by my calendar. That's kind of how I keep myself organized and, and free up some of that time that, uh, you know, that downtime and making sure I do go out for that run or go out for that workout to also clear my mind that way too. So that's, you know, one of the things that people don't think about often too.
0: And, and you mentioned the calendar. I mean, it, it's, it's a funny thing because it's so simple. And yet I know that even just engaging with photographers in conversation that it seems many are apprehensive to committing to something in their calendar. I, I know that when I put something in my calendar, it essentially becomes law. Um, and it's a commitment to that thing. Right. A lot of photographers seem apprehensive to making a commitment time-wise. But it when you actually put that in the calendar, you're willing to commit to it. It can give a, a structure within which you can... You can function as a business owner, you can run your personal life as well, and it does enable you to create some space. But when you're, let's say, for example, um, you're out with friends for dinner or you need to get a workout in, are you just kind of going in do not disturb mode on your phone, your email? Do you, do you create that kind of distinct line between those various activities?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, when I go out, for, I just, you know, went for a workout this morning at uh, one of these boot camp type places and I just leave my phone in the car. Like I, I don't need my phone in the class. Yeah, you know when I'm out with friends, I you know I try to keep my phone in my jacket pocket just so it doesn't distract anybody. Unfortunately, everybody's phone is usually on the table and phones are ringing, people are getting texts. Yeah. Uh, but that's just unfortunately the the situation of the current standing in society, and that's that's what happens. But typically, trying to just leave the phone in the pocket and disconnect, and definitely do not disturb when you go to bed because those puppies are, you know, dinging all night because of also my family living in different time zones and friends in Europe on WhatsApp. And, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, it's like too much information coming at you. But typically most notifications are turned off on my phone anyways. And that's one way to definitely I try to keep very productive. There's the only thing coming or dinging on my phone is a text or, uh, or a phone call. So, When I need to look at email, I'll actually look at email, but not that it's pinging me every three seconds. 100%. Yeah. I mean, I can't recommend that enough. That is such a great way
0: to go because it's so easy to get distracted from focusing on whatever is in front of us. And as business owners, whether we want to focus on a project that needs some some actual mental engagement or, you know, we want to create time for ourselves, turning off some of those distractions, those notifications so that we can actually be present is is so important. That's really good. I want to ask you a follow-up question to that as well, though. You're talking about communication and messaging. Something that I noticed when I was visiting your website is you've got this little bubble at the bottom, uh, bottom right-hand corner of your website. By the way, for those of you listening in, uh, visit Gustavo's website if you just go to Gustavo G U S T A V O Fernandez F E R N A N D E Z zcom com. We'll link to that in the show notes, and it's the same thing on uh, Instagram as well. But what what platform are you using for that messaging tool? And does that go directly to your phone, or how do you how do you manage that communication?
1: Oh, I think they recently changed their name to Bloom. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, okay, that's the name of the platform. It's a little pop up. You know, you'll see that on a lot of different websites. You know What is that doing? It's, it's helping that client get in touch with you quicker. It's, it's making them that conversation a lot easier. It's making it you know, a quicker, quicker way for them to get a hold of you. It does come to your phone uh, through the app and it also comes through the email in case you missed it. So a lot of times I'll actually miss, miss that interaction, but I'll, I'll quickly uh, you know, send an email response back and be like, hey, how can I help you? Let me know, you know if I can be of assistance.
0: Huh. That's really cool. Well, again, for those of you listening in, go check out the site and you kind of get a feel for how that, that might work. You can make it easier for your clients to get in touch with you. Gustavo, you, you just naturally strike me as somebody who's intelligent, who's studious. And, and as we talked about earlier, who's curious, what has been one of the most impactful business or self-help books that you've read that you've listened to, or I don't know, maybe it's a podcast or something else that you get your, your inspiration, your education from, but what comes
1: to mind? Well, the podcast list is way too long, but uh, <laughs> there's always a new one. But you know, you already mentioned the classic, How to Win Friends and Influence People mm-hmm. I rem- you know, by Dale Carnegie. I remember I, I used to be in pharmaceutical sales and I was driving Western Kansas for hours on end. I would spend a couple of overnights a week and I started going to the library and checking out books on tape. And this was when books on tape were actually tape. <laughs> yeah. So I remember listening to how to win friends and influence people. And, uh, also never eat alone is another classic. I love to recommend by Keith. So good. Keith Ferrazzi. Yeah. You know, one of the main things that I learned from Keith was it's all about pinging people. It's all about reminding them that you're there. It's all about checking in, you know, it's like keeping that consistent and making it personal, you know, a perfect example. Of, if I'm in New York city, I'll call. I'll call the office. I'll call, uh, J, you know, all my clients. I'll be like, hey, I'm going to be in town. You know, can I take you to lunch? Can I bring you coffee? You know, recently, for J.P. Morgan, I had I did some headshots for the whole events team, because I know that uh, my client mentioned it at the last conference. I photographed for her. It's like, yeah, I'd be happy to do headshots for you. So, I went in, did headshots for the team. And it was uh, amazing because I got one-on-one time with every team member that she has. And now they know who I am and what I do for the company. And, you know, they're definitely going to, you know, be calling me, you know, next, the next time they have a need. And then uh, of course the, the client took me out to lunch afterwards to thank me. And, and to, you know, this was complimentary. I didn't charge them a thing. This was like, Hey, this is a thanks to you guys for, you know, hiring me several times a year to, to photograph your amazing conferences. And even while we're sitting there at lunch, she goes, you know what, we should bring you in for this event and uh, that we have up here in wine country. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, why haven't you mentioned that to me before? So, you know, you just never know when there's other opportunities and, you know, especially catching them outside of just the day of the job, you know, when they're more relaxed and you can kind of get to know them a little bit better and make that personal connection. You know, that's what it's all about. Even when I'm you know, just walking around Times Square, for example, like Nasdaq is one of my clients. I I took a photo and texted it to my Nasdaq client who's here in San Francisco. It's like, hey, thinking about you guys having a great time in New York City. You know, it doesn't take much to to kind of check in. You know, be personable, and uh, you just have a great client relationship.
0: That's good. Well, and we'll link to both those books that you mentioned too, in, in the show notes for those of you listening in how to win friends and influence people, Dale Carnegie. And I, I've said this, I think even on the podcast recently, it's so interesting to me that that book was written something like a hundred years ago and it's still relevant. The principles in eight are relevant. The way, the way that you can best interact with a human being really hasn't changed in this day and age. If you want actual connection, if you want them to make if you want to make them feel good about themselves, about interacting with you, there are basic principles that uh, you can find in that book. Take advantage of that. And then never eat alone, too. Keith Frazzi, like you mentioned, we'll link to that in the show notes as well. It's good stuff. Brief question about photography. Since you are a photographer, what is one of the okay. most unusual items in your camera bag that enables you to be a better photographer? And this does not have to be a lens or a camera or flash or anything of the sort. But what comes to mind?
1: Well, you know, a simple one that I, I am mad when I forget it in my trunk, it's my monopod. Oh, okay. So, yeah, you know, people don't think about this too much. They think about tripods a lot. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in event photography, you're moving around. And the reason I use a monopod, I use it for my 70 to 200 mm. because a lot of my events are, you know, kind of big speakers, keynotes, you know, those type of people on a stage. And they're not necessarily moving too much. And when you're spending, you know, three to four hours running around and trying to get great uh, speaker shots, you know, that 7200 lens gets a little heavy, but the beauty of it is too, it helps me with focus and it helps me with camera shake. So it keeps me a lot more stable. It helps me, you know, crop everything and keep everything super consistent looking, yeah, um, which is great. And then I get a ton more images in focus. So that helps a lot too. And then, you know, you're, you're feeling fresh at the end of the day versus, you know, Oh my gosh, I just carried this camera around. Yeah,
0: it's not not just hard on your your arms; it's hard on your back too. I know a lot of times it's probably not good posture, but there's a tendency when you're holding a heavier lens like that to kind of lean back a little bit. So now you're putting weight in your back and your arms, and yeah, it's a lot for sure. You know, honestly, I never shot weddings with uh, a monopod. I used to. I don't know how many people know this, but I used to photograph for LifeTouch way back in the day when I was trying to make some extra cash, and and I would go and photograph uh, football games or sporting events in in the evenings for schools. (laughs) And I'd use a monopod in that case, like you said, for, I think more for the, the longer lens, like the 70 to 200. And um, man, yeah, if you're shooting a corporate event, you have to stand for an hour or two and you want to get those steady shots, especially in low lighting scenarios, that probably makes a big difference. Do you use a particular brand?
1: I think mine is a Gitzo, but, you know, literally anything you can buy off the shelf, like nothing. It doesn't even need to be expensive because there's nothing much to a monopod, True.
0: That's fair. <laughs> I know it's, it's funny, yeah. actually, when you look at uh, tripods or even monopods and you see these really expensive ones with the, you know, the carbon fiber and right. know, all, all the fancy bells and whistles, you do have to kind of wonder like, what, what do you need to spend 500 bucks versus 154? But
1: yeah, I mean, if you're a landscape photographer and you're trekking in to, you know, 10 miles, like, of course, oh, buy the sure. carbon fiber, fancy, super light. But <laughs> yeah. if, but if it's in your roller bag and you're just pulling it out of your trunk, like, you really? You just go to the store and <laughs> buy the, the least expensive one. Fair so, enough. Yeah.
0: Fair enough. Well, we, we already mentioned that you're, you're shooting corporate events, you're shooting headshots, and this has not always been the case. When I first met you, you were a wedding photographer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think you may have mentioned this earlier, but how long did you shoot weddings before you actually transitioned into corporate work?
1: I'd say at least five plus years, maybe five to six. And then it was sort of a, amalgamation of both or all three for like a year or two. And then it's like, okay, let's get rid of these weddings. Or I, you know, basically, you know, jacked up my prices and that's kind of what happened.
0: And what would you say was the, the turning point or the motivation, the impetus to make that switch from weddings to
1: corporate? You know, the impetus was, you know, which, uh, which I try to explain people, but it's, it's a little long ended, uh, it's it's that referral source. Okay. When you look at your typical way to promote your wedding photography, so you got to start with your beautiful website. Yeah. Nowadays, you have to have that beautiful uh, Instagram. You have to have a great you know marketing plan with your social media. You have to great, great Facebook. Oh, and we still haven't shot the wedding yet, by the way. <laughs> right. You have to take care of those vendors. You got to take care of that wedding planner. You got to take care of that florist. All these other people. And then you still have the client that you got to take care of, photograph that wedding, make sure they're happy throughout that year long plus relationship. Then after the wedding, you got to make sure you get everything in on a timely basis. You know, you got to send in your images, you know, to get edited by you guys, but it goes on and on. And, and then, uh, you know, your referral sources are, you know, you have to go out and network. You have to, you know, make sure you're taking care of all these vendors. So you have like all these referral sources you have to take care of to, to kind of try to get that 30 to 40 or whatever your number is, sure. amount of weddings. And then you got to start that whole process over again in the following year from scratch, because now you got to find 30 to 40 new clients hmm. again, depending on that number that you're going for. So what I noticed quickly uh, when venues started referring me hotels or, you know, event venues, for example, I'll just mention the Fairmont hotels, one of my biggest clients. Sure they started referring me, I noticed like, wait a second, you know, there's events almost every day at these hotels, like what's going on? Like, I don't have to work on the weekends. Me taking care of literally one person in the catering team, which a lot of times is, you know, it's definitely somebody that's not the wedding events planner, it's going to be like the social or corporate event planner, somebody that you probably never talked to. So but taking care of that one person, can pretty much make your year, you know, Then that's happened to me with a, a couple of my venues. Like that's where I've gotten JP Morgan. That's where I got uh, referred to Forbes. That's where I got referred to many of my top clients. So I quickly found out that if I took care of one person or one venue, I can have, you know, a potentially 365 days worth of work. Wow. Okay. So,
0: I mean, you're just thinking about this, I guess, very simply from the perspective of how to create the the most scalable business and ideally with not, not minimal effort, cause I know you're a really hard worker, but the, without the kind of the, the rat race that it, it felt like maybe trying to get wedding clients was you're able to focus in on specific relationships with drive the majority of your business, kind of that 80, 20 principle.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, over time and like what I see the basic transition of wedding photographers, like, Oh, you start and you're young and you're new and you're like exciting and And then eventually like you get the reputation where like a a wedding planner would like to hire you. And, you know, those are kind of the Holy grail getting hired by wedding planners because typically clients that hire a wedding planner have a higher end budget. So then you're making the higher end money, you know, and I got to that phase where I was getting called by some wedding planners. But as soon as I got called by those wedding planners, I did a few weddings. I went, wait a second, this planner really likes me, but she can't hire me for every wedding that she has. Yeah. You know, and typical planners in in my experience only have like ten to twelve weddings a year. And you might be a good fit for maybe one or two of those weddings. So, you know, then you then you look at all that energy you spent on developing developing that relationship over the last several years to maybe get one wedding a year. And I didn't see that as as kind of like a, a worthwhile effort versus I could spend all that energy on one venue and maybe one or two, you know, corporate planners or event planners and get tenfold return on that investment.
0: Wow, that's that's huge. And I think you're converting like half our listeners now from wedding photographers to corporate photographers after that spiel.
1: Well, you know, they'll get their weekends back and it was kind of a funny transition where like, hey friends, I'm still around, like, <laughs> please call me. <laughs> What, what would you say though,
0: besides the fact that you got the weekends back and, and obviously you're able to to focus in on key relationships versus kind of relationships with a, a ton of different people in order to drive business. Um, outside of that, what are the other big differences that you've noticed between the business model, which was wedding photography and the brand that you're running now?
1: Sure. It's, you know, the, also that client relationship is, you know, it's a, it's a shorter client relationship. You know, for those, I guess for those one off clients, like, oh, somebody's coming into town and I'll, I'll photograph their event and they'll never come back to San Francisco because maybe their conference was based here this year. Next year, it's going to be somewhere else. So they'll, you know, hire someone locally, possibly. Um, but hopefully, I'll endear myself enough that they'll hire me to travel. Here I am, probably four or five years out of sh- having shot my last wedding. Although I do, I'd say one wedding, small wedding a year, maybe. But, you know actually really working uh, weddings I still have probably four or five clients that haven't done their wedding albums so it's it, what you know the point I'm trying to get at is it's a little bit more transactional with events because they they need a, they need the photography for the event you know you deliver that product say a few days later and then you're done you know it's that relationship is a lot shorter than this one plus year relationship that you have with wedding clients that's also so emotionally charged, right? So this is more transactional. It's business. It's, you know, it's, it's a lot easier to, you know, deliver that great customer service.
0: Huh. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I tend to enjoy working in shorter spurts of time, I guess, and you can kind of put more into it probably in a shorter bit of time, give them that great experience. And then it's kind of one and done and you move on to the next client. I can see that the, the advantages certainly in that. And you already alluded to the benefit of being able to spend, a little bit less time in the process of networking developing the relationships necessary to drive a a full-time business in corporate work than you would with the wedding work how would you actually compare that though because i think about and really if if a photographer is running their business well a wedding photographer in particular i mean i shot weddings for over 10 years so i can kind of speak from experience here but i would venture that you know they could get the majority of the the admin work necessary to run their business done within 5 6 hours a week if that um, really, the majority of their time they should be spending another, 15, you know, ten, fifteen hours doing lunches, dinners, networking events, this kind of thing, connecting with the vendors, as you pointed out, or the wedding coordinators, potential clients, working on the relationships in a week. How would that compare to a week of trying to to build your business as a corporate and headshot photographer?
1: You know, it's funny because it's I spent probably a fifth of the amount of time I used to spend doing the networking. Wow, and because again, it's finding, you know, a handful of those repeat clients and a handful of those venues that are just sending you the business. Like I don't, you know, it also comes with time too. you know, I've been around over 10 years. So people know who I am. People recognize that, you know, I'm that trustworthy person that they could call it in the last minute need. So, you know, I've kind of built that reputation too, but I, you know, I gave up on the, being part of MPI or being part of ILEA, you know, MPI being Meeting Professionals International or ILEA, it's international, I forget, but it's basically where the wedding planners and event planners and all the florists and all the caterers, those are the type of associations that they attend. Like I haven't been to one of those events in probably, gosh, probably a couple of years now. I might go to the gala once in a while just so I can see everybody at one place and check in and make sure that, you know, they know that I'm here. Yeah. But again, it's, I don't do as much as I had to, you know, because there was just so many other places you had to market yourself with, with weddings. And it's such, such a higher demanding market. And nowadays it's kind of scary with Instagram and, you know, all the social media outlets where people are not necessarily getting their leads through the normal referral sources anymore. So uh, but yeah, so I definitely don't spend much time at all, if at all, you know, doing that networking with other other vendors. I'm actually looking now at niching down even further, where I'm gonna st- I'm gonna join different associations like the American Marketing Association or the the lawyer I forget the lawyer's association name, you know, for because I do a lot of law firm headshots. So you know, those are the places where actual corporate clients are versus you know a bunch of vendors that can refer me versus I'm going now straight to the source versus hoping somebody would recommend me to, to one of their clients.
0: Yeah. Well, and once you make that initial connection, as you pointed out, there's a potential for incredible amounts of business just from that one source versus exactly. having your, your hands kind of in all these different places, trying to, you know, hoping, trying to get one client. That's really interesting. How did you make the transition from the wedding market to the corporate market as smoothly as possible? I mean, especially when it comes to a brand, you're, you're, because of your personality in particular, just being a very just engaging individual, easy to interact with, easy to, I'm sure, be photographed by as well, how do you say to your wedding clients and your connections in the wedding industry, I'm out, I'm, I'm moving over here, and effectively make that transition with your brand?
1: You know, it just, it sort of happened naturally, but you know, as soon as you stop talking about it or stop, stop showing it, you know, it's you lose people's interest. You know, that's unfortunately the, the day we've reached in the marketing world, right? If you stop posting about weddings or talking about weddings, people forget about you pretty quickly. Hmm. So, you know, it's probably in that way. And also not going to these specific wedding events, right? Like WIPA, like wedding international Oh, gosh, now I'm forgetting all the acronym names, but WIPA (laughs) is like a big association just for, you know, wedding industry people. So as soon as I stopped going to those and started talking about corporate event photography and headshots, they're like, oh, okay, we know exactly what you're looking for. Hmm. And even then, some of those wedding planners are hiring me now for their social events. So social events, meaning, you know, hey, it's a 50th birthday party, or it's a 40th birthday party, or it's, or it's, you know, another celebration for, Maybe they have some side uh, corporate clients on the side that they also like to take care of to some companies that, you know, several of my, you know, top wedding planners out here in San Francisco have actually transitioned over to corporate just because, again, of that recurring income, you know, just the ROI is much higher and, you know, it it just allows them for a better type of life. When you're
0: talking about not being as crowded a market, when I think about corporate photography, it seems like it would be relatively easy to get into that market. And I mean, while wedding photography is popular for various reasons, there, there's so many different corporate events going on. And of course the opportunity for headshots for corporate clients. Also, it seems like there's a a great demand there. Is there a reason that you think more photographers aren't getting into that space and you've kind of got the, the run of the industry, if
1: you will, right now? Yeah. You know, it's funny that that's a great point. I mean, it's, the reason is it's you know it's not as sexy as weddings. You know mm. when I first got into weddings like wow this is fun this is kind of cool this is sexy like everybody's excited it's a fun day. Yeah. You know it's just it's it's just it's a rush. You know I love the rush of like you know running that whole wedding day and just having to get the shot, you know. So that that that's definitely what excited me about it. And you know the reason people don't get into it because I guess not enough people are talking about it and it just doesn't sound as exciting to some people like i mean i it's exciting to me because i'm sitting in rooms with ceos hmm. and executives at top you know top companies like google or wells fargo or bank of america and i'm you know hearing about all these new businesses or these or these revolutionary startups and hearing from the ceos or the or the founders wow so that that gets me excited because i have a little you know some business background so maybe that won't excite as many people so But also there's nobody that's kind of, you know, owning that niche and just talking about it tons. So maybe I'll do that and just I'll just plant the flag and and be like, hey, look, this is super fun. It's a great living. You can have a life. You don't have to be, you know, out there networking all the time and you can have some amazing clients and get to travel a little bit, too. Yeah, I remember, and this is years ago,
0: uh, you and I were chatting and and you actually, you said something, you were asking me if I knew somebody who was doing this type of photography. And I didn't really have any connections that I could kind of push your way, but you you seemed to notice that there was an opportunity there. And you were kind of trying to figure out how to make that happen. And and I have to give you props and also use this as an example for our listeners, too, that, you know, if you see an opportunity in the market, whether you're in wedding photography or portrait photography, commercial, corporate or otherwise, if you see an opportunity in the market, don't just talk about it. Go do something about it. And Gustav was a great example of somebody who saw an opportunity. And there wasn't there weren't really resources out there that said, hey, here's how you go about the process. So he went and he figured it out and he made it happen. And, and you're here now and, and are doing quite well at it. So, so props to you, not only for going for it, but making it happen. I think it's a great example for our listeners too. And, and to that point, actually, let's just kind of finish here with something that I, I hope will make this, this whole conversation even more practical, maybe even more actionable for our listeners. What would you say are the most important factors or principles that have enabled you to develop this successful headshot and corporate photography brand?
1: Uh, That's a great question. I mean, you know, we've mentioned this many times, but it's, it's all about the people, you know, how can you solve their problems? How can you be a resource? How can you, you know, how can you take care of them? How can you make their lives easier? Hmm. You know, you know, well, I've mentioned venues many times, you know, if you look at uh, the Fairmont hotel, it's like, well, you know, they have an Instagram account. They, you know, they have a need for website photos. So oftentimes yeah, well, actually every time I shoot an event there, I'm sending them a link to those photos. Like, Hey, feel free to share with your clients. Feel free to use this to promote this room in this specific way. So I'm making sure that they're getting the imagery. Hey, they need a headshot of the, uh, the chef. Sure. Of course. Happy to be there anytime, you know, get a bunch of headshots of the chef who takes you, you know, no time. And you know, it's, it's simple enough. Like how can you be how can you be that only person that they think of? And it's just being that resource be, you know, being top of mind, helping them out with, uh, you know, their needs, you know, it's, it's huge. And, and again, you know, I just, I can't harp on this enough is providing that excellent customer service, just picking up the phone, returning emails. You know, if the, if the delivery is going to be late, you know, it's like, Hey, you know, I'm going to you know let you know that I promise you that, you know, images this day, it's going to be a little bit over, you know, just over-communication is key. And I think not many people do this enough. You know, mm-hmm. if the client has to call you about, the, uh, about something or the photos, you know, you, you've already failed. So it's uh, keeping that client educated of what's going on and, and answering all those questions beforehand. So all about the people and providing that excellent customer service is, and taking care of your venues. Those, those three are just pretty much what I've built my whole business on.
0: Yeah. Over communication, it's it's interesting, again, that something is basic. I mean, we talked about communication a bit already, but making sure that uh, more specifically, we're proactively managing expectations is a really big one, too. Do you? How do you go about that process? Because I, I know that you pointed out earlier, your corporate clients at this point, they don't even need a contract from you. They're just like, hey, here's the date. Can you be there? And they trust your process. But how do you make them aware of that process to begin with? Do you do you have this outline that you sent to them? You know, in wedding photography, you give these you give your clients or potential clients these magazines. That's the thing to do now, too. How do you manage the expectations of your corporate clients?
1: Just, uh, you know, just making it clear up front, you know, checking in, making sure that you know that, you know, what are their needs? You know, it's like, hey, we need this specific or here's a shot list. So if they have that specific need or, you know, a lot of times they won't even send me that shot list. Like I did an event this, uh, this past week and I checked in with the client because I literally, the only thing I knew was the name of the company. I had, I'd gotten no other information before. And I said, Hey, I'm going to, you know, deliver X, Y, and Z, which is like what I typically deliver. If you have any extra requests, please let me know. So even if, when you don't get that chance to communicate and, and check in and ask for those lists, you know, to making sure that you're in person kind of reiterating what you're going to do for them and uh, making sure that, you know, you're not unaware afterwards and be surprised by like, oh, well, we wanted this. I was like, oh, well, I'm sorry. I forgot to talk to you about it or I forgot (laughs) to check in with you about it. So, you know, if a client ever has to reach out in my mind, you failed, right? It's like if they've had to ask for something or if you didn't. Or if you didn't deliver something, you know, you failed because you either haven't communicated enough or, you know, or haven't just, you know, done your job.
0: Wow. Yeah. that Wow. That's a, that's poignant though. If somebody has to reach out to you to ask, then you haven't done your job. And, and this is applicable for any type of photography, any type of business owner, really. I mean, applicable for me too. I think about the, the number of questions that we get at photographers edit for regarding our services or about an order or this or that. And so that is yet again, a reminder of the significance of making sure that we're not only proactively managing expectations up front, but that we have information readily available for them at any point. We need to do that as photography business owners too. It's so, so important.
1: Well, one quick uh, tool you can use for that, which is what I use, is yep. just using a great CRM system. Yes. You know, right now I'm using Tave and, and the beauty about that is, you know, that next day after the event, that automatically. Email's gonna go out and go, hey, you're gonna get your images within three to five business days. Just keeping you up to date. If you have an immediate request, of course, let me know. I'll be happy to fulfill that as fast as we can. So immediately the day after, what's that client thinking? That client's like, okay, when am I getting my photos? And they totally forgot about that conversation you had about a month ago. It's like, oh yeah, it takes a few days. But with the excitement of the event, that simple automated email that you know saves you. And one of the other beautiful uh features of, of many CRMs out there, but especially Tave too, is you know when you send a proposal, a lot of times you'll forget to ask, let them know what your other services include. So it's like, here's my three hours of event photography, and you're going to get your photos in three to five business days. It's all cleared. But when they go to approve that uh, proposal, there's an additional services section where they can check off additional things. And Literally in the last few months, people have clicked on additional services that have paid for that CRM many times over Wow! for several years. And what do I mean by that? Like a perfect example, it's like, oh, can we get the images delivered You know, within 24 hours? Oh, okay, that's an extra, say, $350. I was like, wow, well, I wasn't counting on that, but now I'll turn that sucker around and make some more money. It's like an extra service that I had forgot to educate the client on, but then now the CRM helped me educate them on and then automatically it was added to you know that final invoice and make me look like a hero.
0: With a system like Tave, and by the way, we'll link to Tave in the show notes for those of you who are not familiar with the platform, but did it take you a very long time to get it set up? Because I know a tool like Tave and other CRMs can be, or at least seem overwhelming when it comes to actually setting them up, setting up the systems and the workflows and typing out all the automated emails. Was that a pretty extensive process for you?
1: Oh yeah, every CRM out there is like... like just it's just kill me now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's an ongoing thing, and it, I mean, there's always things that I'm discovering too that I could you know uh, fix a little bit better. But no, you got to definitely commit a significant uh, amount of time to to get all your information in there. You know, they make it pretty easy because they are. They, I think I believe they they have like some kind of custom templates that are already in there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's just it's such a powerful tool, and it's so worth investing the time into it. That I would definitely recommend, you know, to help people kind of manage all their accounts. And again, keeping on in that top of mind customer service, especially with, uh, you know, this tool, that type of tool to help them out.
0: Well, and I think I think it's good to keep in mind, too, that what we're talking about is an investment up front that's going to pay dividends in the long run. So you make the effort to put in the time to develop the workflow up front which then enables you to, to implement automation in your workflow, which saves you time. And in your case makes you more money, which is pretty brilliant. I think we have to be okay with the fact that occasionally we have to put in the work um, to then have the systems in place that enable us to have some flexibility and freedom as business owners that, so that we don't have to be strapped to our phones or computers all the time. And ultimately so that we can give a better customer experience too, as you pointed out, I do have one last question for you. you've you mentioned services. And of course we've been talking about this various photography that you offer For somebody who's going from wedding or portrait photography or any any genre for that matter to corporate work, pricing is probably going to be a big question. What was the process for you in coming up with appropriate pricing? And I'm sure it varies with client, but what did that look like?
1: Gosh, yeah, that's a great question. And, uh, you know, I'm probably the worst person to ask about numbers. But, I, you know, I kind of looked around and and saw who the top people were and kind of what their rates were and what the type of products they were delivering. And just sort of analyzed, you know, their pricing and how that could make that fit into my, into my clientele and just slowly over time, um, you know, have moved and adjusted that. So I don't have the best answer for that. I mean, I, as many of the real financial people recommend, it's like, hey, you know, look at what you want to make a year and divide that by how many events you want to shoot and then kind of try to figure out what's what you need to charge. But Sure. That's, that's a little bit harder when you're starting off and don't exactly know what what's going on. But I just suggest you know ask around and see what are the going rates and and start there. And if you're not you know booking, if you're booking you know ninety percent of the jobs, you're definitely too low. If you're you know booking maybe seven, you know a lot less, maybe definitely in the in the in that right point. So. Which I'm now at the higher end, uh, so I'm definitely turning down a lot more than I'm booking. But that's exactly where I want to be because I want to be with that very specific, you know, niche clientele that does care about a great product and does have the budget to pay for, you know, a higher end, uh, you know, provider.
0: Oh man, yeah, it's great to be there. And again, I have to to say props and, and congrats ultimately to you for making this happen. Cause it, it's kind of fun. Not that I was along for the whole process or the, the whole ride, but remembering back however many years now, when you were talking about the possibility of getting into this work, the fact that you've made it work, uh, you've made it happen and and am doing well at it says a lot. And uh, I really appreciate you sharing both that journey and then also your experience and ultimately your advice from your experience with our listeners today. Will you just remind us all where we can find you online one more time?
1: Yeah. And again, thanks, Nathan, for this amazing opportunity. It's been a, a great time having you as a friend for many years and excited uh, to share all of this with you guys. But uh, yeah, simply just my website, GustavoFernandez.com. And uh, he's going to link all that up. And same as uh, Instagram, which that's another whole story. I don't, you know, do too much social. Um, and my website's, you know, funny enough, that's another term of discussion because it's just a basic website. You know, my clients just go there to see, like, oh, okay, he shoots these type of events. Never mind. All that word of mouth that I get, I don't necessarily spend too much time on social or on, you know, creating this perfectly beautiful website.
0: Yeah, but- well, but you know, I have to jump in really quick right there because it's interesting. You you point out your understanding of how your clients or potential clients work. You understand where you need to put your time, which is in the relationships, the connections with those clients, or at least those who are kind of the, the head of the, the organization or in charge of marketing or in charge of the events or whatever the case may be. But making those connections, you realize that time spent on extensive time spent on the website or on social media isn't going to benefit you significantly. So you have it. And I think that's OK. You know, it's, it's funny that, you know, just because the end thing to do is be on Instagram and make it look pretty doesn't necessarily mean it's relevant for everybody. And uh, I think that's a great lesson for all of us as well. I know that before I started recording, uh, you mentioned that you've got a little point of reference, if you will, some some other thoughts, some ideas associated with corporate photography that we might be able to link our listeners to. Is that right?
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to share. It's like a top 10 PDF. We'll share the link on the show notes. It's just like the top 10 things that I've learned over the last 10 years of you know how I built my business and how you can uh, take care of those clients and kind of what things to to do if you want to transition to some uh, more of that event photography
0: that's awesome cool well we will definitely link to those in the show notes and again thanks gustavo this has been uh, i'm glad that we got to finally make this happen thanks so much for sharing with our listeners today
1: awesome thanks you brother talk to you soon
0: thank you so much for listening to the boca podcast will you let us know what you thought by leaving a review of the podcast in the apple podcast app and I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is nathan at photographersedit dot com. The Boca Podcast is brought to you by Photographers Edit, custom image editing for the professional photographer. Visit photographersedit dot com.